We are going together on an adventure of God changing us. When he has big plans in store, what should I be doing? Today, we're actually diving into the one question of this. Faithfulness. If faith means completely trusting God in his plans, how can I be living faithfully for him? That's the question we're going to be answering today. All right. Ushers, why don't you come forward with, uh, they've got Bibles in their hands. We're going to be diving into Ruth 1 now. All right. Ruth 1. And again, you can go back to Sermon 1 uh, in this booklet. It's got the outline for you. You can start taking your notes right there in Sermon 1. All right. Ruth chapter 1. If you need a Bible, just raise your hands. The ushers will get one to you, okay? If you need a Bible, just raise your hands. We'll get one to you. Ruth chapter 1. All right. We are starting a new series. We're in a new book. We're in the book of Ruth. And today... We're watching her faithfulness be demonstrated in massive ways. Let me just dive into the first verse here. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. We're going to walk through the first five verses here, and that verse is a great lead-in to the whole book of Ruth. It's an unbelievable insight to what's taking place. And it also helps us to understand the first step in what not to do when you're actually trying to execute faith. That first point is do not run from God's plan. Do not run from God's plan. Have you ever noticed that when the going gets rough, the first thing we do is, well, we complain. That's the first thing we do, right? And then after we complain... We actually start trying to avoid seeing if we can get out of this tough situation. And then after all that, we actually might just plain old run. We might just leave completely. All right. Let's again read verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So let's just break it down. In the days when the judges ruled, this is... The time when those people who were called judges actually watched over the nation of Israel. It was a time before the kings, and it was a time when, as Judges, uh, what was it, 17.6, Judges 17.6 is one of them, where it says, they did what was right in their own eyes, as a description of the whole nation. Think about that for a second. They did what was right in their own eyes. What would that look like, except for utter chaos, Right? So they're doing what was right in their own eyes. We're actually told that God has specific results that occur when you do that. Leviticus actually makes pretty clear in two different spots, 26, 18 through 20 is one of them, that if you don't do as I'm asking you, your land will not bring forth fruit. Now here we're told there was a famine in the land. In fact, it even affected Bethlehem. There's a bit of tongue-in-cheek on that because Bethlehem by name means house of bread. The place who was called the very house of bread was without bread, was without food. That's how bad the famine was. Do you think maybe God was doing something where he was helping discipline and bring them along? That's what Leviticus would lead you to think. 
As you're understanding the grasping here, we've got a land that's no longer bringing forth its fruit. We've got people that are in a time where they're doing whatever they saw right in their own eyes. Things are not going well for the nation of Israel. And it says, there was a man who went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. They went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Okay, here's the deal. Moab is about 50 50 miles east of there. Okay, you had to actually cross a body of water to get to it. Moab was not the nation of Israel. Moab was in many levels an enemy of Israel. Not quite as high a level of enemy as some of the others, but still up there pretty high. And he's deciding to go hang out with them rather than hang out with Israel as God's walking them through a time of shaping and changing and growing. We're actually supposed to read this and we're supposed to go, oh, like if you really know what's going on, that's what you're going to say. Okay, everybody try it with me. Ready? Oh, so as I read and I tell you, we went to Moab. I need one of those. Are you ready? In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem and Judah. Well, he went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now we got it. All right. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was here we go. Elimelech, pronounced in the Hebrew, Elimelech. It means God is king. My God is king. And the name of his wife, Naomi, if you want to pronounce it in the Hebrew, Naomi, right? It means pleasant. And the names of their two sons were Machlan and Kilion. If you're looking to name your children anything, there's a suggestion. Machlan means sickly. And Kilion means one who constantly wastes away, whining and groaning. I'm thinking it wasn't a good, happy childhood. I don't know. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and they remained there. They remained there? I thought this was a sojourn, right? Sojourn means go and stay for a very short while. Remained means, and I changed my plans, okay? They remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi... Well, he died, and she was left with her two sons. Hang on, it gets a little worse. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth in the Hebrew. Okay? Very very attractive feminine name, right? You can say it with me. Ready? Ruth. Yeah. It's always fun to say Hebrew names. you got to get the rolling R, though, if you're going to do it. So try the rolling R thing. Ready? Ruth. Okay, now we got it. All right? So these are our people. They lived there about 10 years. That's quite a little sojourn. And both Machlan and Kilion, well, they died as well. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. We're in a pretty rough spot. We've got Naomi, who, following her husband's lead, left the place that, well, they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And they ended up under the very hand of God disciplining them, bringing famine. And they said, not for me, thank you. And they tried to go out from under. And they came over to Moab, about 50 miles to the east. And they hang out there thinking, we'll be better off with it in my own hands, thank you. And in that period of time, well, the leader of the home passes away. The two sons pass away. And now there's a mom and her two daughters-in-law that are hooked together in a foreign country, trying to figure out how to survive in what back then was a man's world and for them to survive without being hooked up to a family in some way was going to be a great and grievous problem it's time for them to figure out what to do next 
The sad thing is, is this is all the result of a lack of faith, a lack of hanging in there, a lack of seeing God working back in Israel. And they came running out from under. And now they're in another tough spot and they're also on their own. They're wrestling with what it looks like from their perspective to be in Moab without a husband's and trying to figure out what it means to get back to God. You know, often our faith can be so challenged that we end up not wanting to listen to what we know we should be doing that we find in the Word. We might actually be running our own direction or doing our own thing, and we do it so much so that we actually lose sight of what our next step should be. When you actually look at what these families are doing, They've done nothing more than what you and I would typically do when we get into tough spots. We do the run first. Think of it this way. The African Impala. You know what an Impala looks like? Not the car, right? It's this little tiny deer thing like about this tall, right? And it's got this gorgeous color scheme to it. That thing can jump. Are you ready for this? It can jump 10 feet up in the air and 30 feet. Hang on. Let's see if we can get 30 feet in here, right? Two, three, four, five, six, nine, ten, and land right here. Okay, that's one jump for the African Impala. This thing that's about two and a half feet, three feet high, all right? Here's the deal. You take an African Impala and you want to lock it into a zoo, you know what you need? A three-foot wall. What? I thought it could jump ten feet in the air. If it can't see where it's going to land, it won't jump. Let that settle. How much are we like the African Impala? If I can't see where I'm going to land, God, uh uh-uh. I'm going my own way. Be very careful that whatever plans God's calling you to and whatever he's calling all of us to corporately, and as we look at this going home thing and we don't have all the knowledge of every last piece all the way through to the end, and it's, God, what is your next step? We clearly just say, I see the step in front of me, and I'll take that. Faith is about taking that one step that logically makes sense. It's not saying, I know the end and I know where I'm going to land. It's saying, God, I know you're in charge. And I'm leaning and trusting on you with all I have. Are you ready to put your faith in him like never before? Are you ready to say, God, we may not know the end point, but you do. I'm trusting in you with all I've got. I'm not going to get out from under your big plans. I'm going to be in it and a part of it, whatever it is you're calling me to. Are you ready? That's our first step with faithfulness. Second, determine to follow passionately after God, regardless of the circumstances. Determine to follow passionately after God, regardless of the circumstances. Say it one more time for those that are writing it down. Determined to follow passionately after God, regardless of the circumstances. Notice in verse 6, it says, Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. Well, why would she decide to return? I mean, yeah, you've got your friends back there, but isn't there a famine going on? For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Nope, not anymore. Hey, maybe we should get back there. Let's just put it this way. Naomi's faith had not really grown hugely yet. She was hearing that the thing she was trying to avoid was now avoided. 
Yes, it was at other things going on in her life as a penalty, but she is now actually getting back under at some level. She's saying it's time to go back. Verse 7. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Hey, just a little side note. The Hebrew word for repentance is the same word as the word for return. Think about that. When we repent for something, we're trying to turn back and go back to the spot where we were with God and know that that's the place we need to be, okay? It's a very cool metaphor. When they're talking about repentance, they talk about returning to him, okay? And they're using the word return here for her. She is returning to the land that she was a part of, the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, and then she has quite the little discourse. Imagine, if you will, you're standing in Moab, You're with two young women whose lives are at risk. Your sons are gone. Your husband is gone. You've heard about the land that you came from now being back on track. And so you say, pack it up, girls. We're going home. You're living with me now. It's time for us to go. They start out on this walk and you don't get very far, right? And all of a sudden you can just kind of imagine how it would go with Ruth and Orpah looking back and the tear in the eyes and the, and the trembling that's going on as they're leaving family. They're leaving their home. They're leaving everything they know and are comfortable with. They're leaving their nation where there's another chance for a husband within that nation and they're coming with Naomi and she's walking along with them and all of a sudden has the little aha experience, right? So first she says, pack up, we're going. Now she has the aha. She says, Naomi said to the two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. They are standing in a position where they have to make a decision. I either leave family, my mother-in-law, or or I leave family, my mom and my dad and my brothers and my sisters and my cousins and my... I either leave the one that I've committed to through marriage or the one that I was born into, but I'm leaving family. This is not an easy decision and I am not happy with it. And you can only imagine on the roadside, there is the weeping. They're, they're holding each other and they're sobbing. And the word wept does not mean like there was a little tear that was shed, you know, like, like the 1970s commercial of the Indian when he looked at all the garbage. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. And everybody that's nodding, you're like older than 40 with me. Welcome. Right. And you know what I'm talking about? It's not this little tear that was shed. It was this monstrous, wailing, emotional moment of, oh, my Lord, what do you have for us? And either decision is horrific. What do we do now? And they're standing there with each other trying to figure it out. And Naomi goes into her next discourse, which is basically to begin to prove that they should not be with her. She says, I mean, I don't have sons for you. I don't have people for you to marry. What are you coming with me for? I can't deliver to you. And even even if I was married, thank goodness she says this, because when you're first reading it, you're like, that's your point? Like, what if you had a child with you and you were with child? And and then she finally says, even if I was with child, what are you going to do? Wait for 20 years? Come on. This is ridiculous. There's no plan that's going to work for you to come with me. You should go back to your family. And when you're back with your family, you can wrestle through things there. 
maybe even find a husband there. Go back to where you belong. As Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? And then she says, have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Good point. A lot of tough stuff going on. Notice Naomi's position. God has dealt with me bitterly. She's still wrestling a little bit with perspective. Not quite getting it. Not saying, this is my issue and our issue. And we made bad decisions to step out from under. And But God is dealing bitterly. Orpah, the pragmatist, kissed her mother and left. Do you see that? Orpah's like, well, that makes sense. Well, see ya, right? Double kiss on the cheek and we're out of here. Orpah's taken off. Now, now Ruth, Ruth, that's a different thing. Notice it says here, but Ruth clung to her. Actually, in the Hebrew there, the emphasis, it would be like saying, but Ruth clung to her. Like the hard emphasis is on that noun, Ruth. Okay? So we should be hearing, there's one response, but there's another. Ruth clung to her. What does clinging look like? Jonna, you want to help me show what clinging looks like? (laughs) Notice I didn't pick Pastor Steve. (laughs) Okay. So what does clinging not look like? Oh, you're going to just touch me. Great. Okay, yeah, this would not be clinging. Okay. This is, this this is, well, this is kind of weird, actually. (laughs) Yeah, so that would not be clinging. It wouldn't even necessarily be consoling. Clinging. What would clinging look like? Okay. Okay, that, that's my mic. <laughs> One moment, please. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that was planned. Clinging. It's aggressive. It's hanging on hard. It's wrapped around the neck, holding tight with all you've got. It's saying as much as you can with your physical being, I am not leaving. I'm here with you. That's what Ruth was saying. Ruth, she didn't turn to her and say, oh, no, mom, and start using words. She clung to her and held her and said, "Uh uh-uh, with her entire physical being, I am here with you and for you. Ruth clung to her. Notice what it says after it. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. Next phrase is huge. Listen to this. And to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. There was a lot going on in Moab that should not have been going on. There are the little G gods, the ridiculous idols that were replacing the capital G God of the universe. And Orpah was returning there. But Ruth had a deeper sense of what God was doing. She had a deeper sense of conviction and faithfulness. She had a deeper understanding of what God was calling to. Was it difficult circumstances? Uh, Yeah. Father-in-law passed away. Husband gone. Brother-in-law gone. I'm deciding to go to a land I've never been to. I don't necessarily know the culture 
I don't necessarily understand all that's happening, but I'm with you. I cling. Ruth's response. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her. Well, she said no more. Our second point was determined to follow passionately after God, regardless of the circumstances. The trip of faith, it's not some decision you make and then you just enjoy the rest of it. It's actually a commitment and a persistence. There could be rough times along the way. It's a time where we lock arms together and we cling together with all we've got, saying, Lord God Almighty, may you be honored in my life. I'm holding on to you with everything I have. I'm determined to be there with you in the midst of all of this. God, may you be honored. Are you determined to follow passionately after God? That's our opportunity of faithfulness. You know, it was uh, 1992. There was a guy named Derek Redman. He was a runner, 400 meters. Uh, some of you may already know him. He was in a Visa commercial later. But uh, he was a runner in the 400 meters. He was favored to win. They expected him to actually blow away the whole crowd of people there. And uh, as he got down in the blocks and got prepared... He expected to win. The gun went off, and he took off. And he's running around the track. He gets to about 150 meters, a little less than halfway. And he said, at that moment, I thought I was shot. I felt a hit in my thigh. I can't explain the ripping, searing pain. It dragged me to a pull-up, and I fell to the ground. I thought I was shot. And as everything began to calm, I realized I tore my hamstring, and it blew completely. And I'm laying there, helpless, in the Olympics, in the 400 meter, everything I've worked for, everything I'm favored for. People came running out with a stretcher to try to help him. He's weeping and uh, just trying to get himself together. And they come out with a stretcher. And he pushes the stretcher away and says, no way. I came to run a race. He stands up. And he begins to limp his way around the last 250 meters, trying to go as fast as he can, which is actually probably faster than I could even. (laughs) And he's doing his getting around the track, and everybody stops and starts to watch. People begin to cheer. His dad runs out out of the stands, down onto the track. Guard tries to stop him. He explains who he is. He runs over to his son. Wraps his arm around his waist. Son puts his arm around his neck. And he holds him up. And they ran the last 75 meters together. Getting into the finish. To an absolute standing ovation from the crowd. Way to finish. He didn't come in first. But he taught an entire world. What it meant to be determined. Disciplined. Persistent. In the midst of your commitments. That's where we need to be. Our faith needs to be so committed 
that when it's not going the way we want, we're still running the race. That we're not getting it exactly the way we thought it would go, we're still running the race. We will finish. We will make sure that we come through. God, may you be glorified. May my faith be shown. I'm trusting in you. Whatever you have in store, maybe it's not me getting or winning or being. Maybe it's something completely other. Teach me that then, Lord. I'm with you. That's faithfulness and a commitment to faithfulness. So are you ready to first not run, but engage? And then are you ready, second, to stay in it for the entirety of the race? That's faithfulness. That's Ruth's model to us so far. And her third point, to follow, we may need to return to a fork in the road and take the other side. To follow, we may need to return to a fork in the road and take the other side. Let's just start in verse 19. It says, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. Remember, that's where it all started, right? They came back to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. You know, the little gossip mill began to go. The pointing and the chatting and the, did you hear who came back? Did you hear what happened? And here's what was going on. And oh my word. And really, are you sure? And let's go talk with them. Is there anything we can do to care for them? And all of it stirring up. The town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Can can you hear it? Like, why would you question things like that? Well, it's been 10 years. So there's a little bit of aging. It's been 10 years of a lot of pain. It's been a lot of emotional aging. There's no husband or sons. But there's this daughter-in-law. Is this Naomi? She doesn't even look the same. She's not acting the same. She's different. What's happened? Naomi's response, verse 20. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. Okay, translation. Naomi means pleasant, enjoyable, Beaming face, smiling all the time. Apparently she was living up to her name before, okay? That's Naomi. Pleasant, okay? Mara, it means bitter, angry. Can you just picture the face? You can make it with me. Make that scowling face, like you're bitter. You're not doing it. Bitter. (laughs) Give me bitter. Most of you are really happy people. That's good. So we have Naomi, okay? Bitter, it's like... Like there's not a smile. You come up to somebody you see that you haven't seen in a long time. How are you? Right? Can you picture it? That's what's going on. Life has beat her down. She's not very happy. Mara, call me that. Why? For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Mm, We'll work on that. Right? She's in the right spot. Geographically, maybe not in the right spot emotionally yet. She's got some processing to do theologically on what God's doing and how He works with us. Mara, actually, you're there because of you, but you're starting to get it. You're at least back to the right spot geographically. Verse 21 I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. 
Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? What I love is God had the choice of putting what he wanted in Scripture. And he literally decided to include in this where somebody was accusing him. Would you include that if somebody was writing a book about you? And then they said this about me and then have it written there? I think I'd be like, blow that piece off, you know? Keep that one out of there. They don't need to know that, you know? So, but God makes sure that we understand the human heart and the human predicament and the hurt of it and all that's being grown through it. We have a very tough experience going on. In verse 22, so Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley season. So verse 1 starts out, in Bethlehem, there was a famine. And at the end, in verse 22, it ends, it's the harvest time, barley season. You see, it was going like this. God was working with them. He was moving. He was doing things. Some of it was discipline. Some of it was privilege. A lot of it was God's hand at work. And they said, we'll go out from under. And so while there was a famine, they moved away. What they experienced was pain and hurt and loss. And now they come back and God is done working with this nation. And he's restored people and he is beginning to move and the land is being restored. And and she's stepping back in and saying, God did this to me. Be careful. We need to return to a fork in the road quite often in our lives. Notice the cool thing about this is the model is not get it all together, then finally return. It's just start doing what you know you need to do. So she got her geography fixed. She's still getting her heart worked on a bit. She's still adjusting. Here's my question for you. Where are you at? In your walk with the Lord, in your run with Him. How are you doing with your bitterness and your frustration and your upsetness about something that's gone down, something that's taken place in the past? Are you still sort of shaking your fist at God? My request is this look for the fork in the road where you began to go down the me path and get back to it. Look for the fork in the road where you started down the, it's all about me now and I'll take over, thank you. Go back to that spot and from there begin to work the other side of the fork in the road as you let God work with you. What is it for you? I mean, it could be something that happened with job. It could be a a relationship that needs to be restored. Maybe a friendship that's been put at risk. Maybe a family member that you won't talk to now. Maybe there's something bigger going on in your life with God himself. You're just not spending the time because you have an absolute anger as you shake your fist at him and say, how dare you, God, when you dot, dot, dot. We can't fake faith and have it work for the long run. Faith comes with a restored relationship with our almighty. We need to go back to the fork in the road. We need to lay it down at his feet, humbly see our role in whatever it was that's gone wrong and say, Lord Almighty, what do I need to pick up? I'm here to run with you. I'm here to see your hand moving in my life. Take me, Lord. Shape me, Lord. 
I'm here to give the exact prayer that Ruth gave. Lord, may you be my God. I want you to literally be who I run after and follow after. This first chapter of Ruth, it's an awesome introduction. It's a power statement to trustworthiness and faithfulness. You and I, as we begin this path of going home, a piece that we're doing corporately, what's it going to look like for each of us to say, Lord, I'm in it. I'm here. I want to be changed and I want to be shaped. May you work in my life. I'm returning to the fork in the road. I'm committing all I have to following after you. And I am determined to run this race. No matter what the circumstances that stand up before me, I'm here with you. You're my God. May I follow you with all I've got. That's what it looks like to be faithful. My request to you is simply this. This week, as you start the daily reading, remember the daily reading, it's in the weekly tools, right? Little reminder. So it's just a page over from where you're at in your book. Go to that weekly tools, go through the daily readings. It's all about this. Lord, what should a healthy faith look like? God, what kind of faithfulness should I be going after? How should it affect my relationships with others? How should it affect my run with you? Lord, what can distract me in my faith? Look for that as you're going through the daily readings this week. God, may I be faithful. That's my prayer. Let's pray.